So today we are going to look at the positive side, right, of turning away from dead works, which is faith towards God. Um, again, just to read very quickly for us Hebrews chapter 6, which is our anchor scripture. It says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. So if repentance involves turning away from your from sin and from self, right, from self-effort, from every attempt in yourself, in the flesh, to be justified, to be accepted before God by your performance. When you turn away from sin, any kind of sin, God doesn't want you to remain in limbo, as it were. He wants you to not only turn away from sin, but he invites you into a new civilization, a new mode of existence. And that mode of existence is called faith towards God. Now, faith is a massive topic in Christianity. With Faith is also a multidimensional reality with different facets of it. And I'm sure that you, <laughs> you may have some ideas already about faith and some experiences with faith. So it's, it's interesting because I think all of that will be useful in our discussion today. But when it comes to the doctrine of Christ, faith is, is not used as broadly as we often use it, right? And that's one of the things we're going to see. Faith is used in a very specific context, which is towards God. Faith towards God. This is, a, this is the second most important pillar, right, of our Christianity. There are many people who are very good at repenting, right? But they are not very good at exercising faith. And what that means is that they end up living with a yoke, with a burden that God did not intend for them to live with because they are very good at repenting. But they're not good at exercising faith. They, they, the same vigor and intensity with which you repent is the same vigor and strength and intensity with which you must latch on to faith as your main reality, as, as your main mode of life, as we're going to see shortly, okay? Um, like we did last week, we're going to begin at the beginning, which is where Jesus, like the first time we see Jesus teaching on faith. Now, up until, which is Mark chapter 11, that's what we're going to read. wanted to say that up until Mark chapter 11, we've seen faith, you know, being mentioned throughout the New Testament. Jesus commending the faith of different actors, right? Commending the faith of people who came to be healed or questioning the faith of people who did not believe that the presence of Jesus in the same boat with them could prevent them from, 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 capsid from capsizing or dying, essentially. So Jesus was essentially sprinkling the topic of faith here and there, but Mark chapter 11 is, at least in Mark's gospel, the first time we see anything close to a teaching on the subject of faith. So that is where we're going to begin from. It's worthy of note to, to understand that the concept of faith as we have it, right, is not practically um, thought in the Old Testament in that sense, which is very interesting. You, you, if you search through your Old Testament, you won't see anything called faith, actually, generally. What you find is believing, for example. You also find faithful. You will see that the Old Testament saints hung on very desperately to the faithfulness of God. And they spoke a lot about their own need to be faithful. 
And so those are two spectrums of faith itself, believing and faithful, which we may not have time to touch today. Um, but why I'm mentioning that is to say that in the, in the faith textbook of the New Testament, if you like, right, the faith hall of fame of the New Testament, which is Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that faith was the operating system of virtually all the Old Testament saints. So once again, even though there was no teaching on faith, they operated by faith. And that should tell us that the topic we're about to deal with is not a mental topic, it's not a philosophical topic, it's an organic topic, it's, an, it's, it's a topic of life. Faith is not divorced from the life of God. Faith is not without the context of the life of God. You may not even know the theory of faith, but if you lay hold of the reality, you will produce the results of faith. So that's what I want our hearts to be fixed on. And trust the Holy Spirit to bring us into the reality of faith as we study tonight. Okay? Before we read Jesus' um, thoughts on faith, I would like to hear your thoughts, right? I think to kick us off tonight on faith. What is faith by your definition? How do you understand the concept of faith? How does faith work by your definition? I think your answers will be a good place to kick up the Bible study today. Hi, can I say something? Yes, you can. Okay, yeah. So I think faith, faith for me is, is obedience to God. I think that is just the simplest way I can define it. Okay, faith is obedience to God. Okay, so I take that definition as defining faith as an action word, essentially. Not a, not a noun, but a verb. It's obedience to God. Okay, thank you. Let's get started. Mark chapter 11. We're going to read a bit from verse 12 down to verse 24. So that's about 13 verses. Um, as always, because this is a doctrinal session, not too heavy on doctrine, but a doctrinal session. Please follow us very closely. Everything we read would help us in our understanding of faith and in our appropriating the reality of faith. Okay, Yudi, can you help us read Mark chapter 11, verse 12 to 24? Okay, so verse 12. Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he could find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, 
he went out of the city. Now in the morning, as he passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Praise God. Yeah, thank you so much, Yudi. Um, so what we're going to do with these verses is that we're going to make an attempt to um, find a definition for faith. Faith is a multifaceted, a multidimensional reality. So I can already tell you off the bat that we're not going to arrive at just one definition for faith, but we will see how far the Spirit leads us. Now, in Mark chapter 11, verse 12, a scenario is presented with us to us, right? And then that scenario is punctuated by a story of Jesus going into the temple and beating out uh, money changers from the temple. The story seems a bit odd and if you like off character <laughs> for, for the gentleness that we know of Jesus and for everything that we like to ascribe to him normally. And it doesn't make sense why the story is, inter inter um, is set between between this, like just is juxtaposed in the middle of this scenario that is presented to us. But of course, we know that the scripture is inspired by God. So that definitely means that it is one line of thought that the spirit of God is bringing to us. So what is the scenario that is presented to us? First, Jesus is hungry, right? So Jesus has a desire because that's part of what hunger is. He has a desire. And then, he, he and his disciples meet this fig tree. The fig tree has leaves. It looks promising from afar. It has everything that indicates fruitfulness, right? It has the externalities, if you like. But when he comes to it, he doesn't find a substance. He doesn't find a fruit. He doesn't find reality. Meanwhile, he's hungry. And so what he does is that he actually curses the tree. Now, this is, I think, one of the maybe only two times in the entire gospel that we see that Jesus used, used his miraculous power in a way that you might call negative to, to, to um, creation. One of the other occasions was when he cast out demons into, into a head of swines, right? And they all ran headlong into the nearest river and they all perished. And this is another one. So Jesus seems to escalate matters very quickly and, and seems things seem to get very intense very quickly here. So he goes to this fig tree, he doesn't find fruit in it, which I would say is not a problem, but the problem seems to be that the thing has leaves and, and has an appearance of budding, but doesn't have the reality. And in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat food from him. And then we now have a break um, or that act and that scene is over and this story of Jesus going to the temple and chasing out the money changers is juxtaposed in between. So what is going on here, right? If you, if you do a study of this, many people tell you that the fig tree is um, 
figurative of Israel, of all of these things. But it's important for us to look at it in its, before we look at it in its metaphorical sense, we have to look at it in its, in its actual sense, right? In its, in its um, real sense. So this is a fig tree that has leaves, but no fruit, right? It means it has the external manifestations, but it doesn't have the reality. So what I'm hinting at here is the very basic mis misconceptions that we have about faith, right? That faith is about, let's say, confessions. So it could be that in your life, for example, there might be so many confessions, so many proclamations. But when we look closely, there is no fruit from all of that activity. Or it could be that if we narrow down even further to your Christianity, right, there is the confession of being a Christian, right? There is the, there is the external uh, manifestations, if you like, or external um, appearances of being a Christian. You know, you probably go to church, you probably know how to sing all the church songs, and everything that appears to um, indicates that you have the substances there. But when we come close enough, right, when Jesus is hungry and he's looking for, for food from your life or from my life, there is nothing. I don't know if you know the experience I'm trying to describe, right, where you are fitting it, <laughs> as it were. You know, in our generation, we have a quote that says that you need to fake it until you make it. And in our hyper-Pentecostal church settings, we've shifted that a bit to fit it until you make it. I don't know if anybody's familiar with this experience or if it's just me, where you are fitting it, but it's just not happening, right? It's just not working. That's the first level at which we want to interpret what's going on here, that Jesus is saying, in essence, to us that what matters is the reality, right? Anybody can produce the feeds and the leaves and all of that, but only those who have the reality. And I know that this word reality is a big word, but just stay with us. We would explain it shortly. Only those who have the reality can produce the fruits of this life, essentially. Now, the second interpretation we're going to apply to this is that the fig tree here obviously refers to, to the Jewish religious system that had become a hindrance to the true and pure worship of God. And that is where the story of the temple came in, that the temple was supposed to be a place where people were supposed to meet with God. And the temple had its own currency. So just in case you have US dollars, you couldn't bring your US dollars in as US dollars to God, you know, it was not holy enough. So you had to change it at the temple into what it's referred to as the shekels of the sanctuary. And the exchange rate of the shekels of the sanctuary was directly equal to the intensity and profit of spiritual activity that was going on in the temple. So the more that the glory of God was visible, the more that the temple was a place where people were coming to seek the face of God and to find solutions. Like the more that happened, the more the value of the shekels of the, of the sanctuary in, increased. But the time came 
when this religious system had completely lost track of the reality that produces the glory of God, and all they had was the marketplace, right? All they had was the exchange ground. And so what Jesus is doing by cursing the victory and why he's doing it in front of his disciples is that he is cursing Judaism at his root. He's saying that let no one eat food from you ever again. So he's not saying that you're not going to have members, right? Or you're not going to have numbers. But he's saying that the thing that produces eternal life, that produces salvation and the fruits of salvation cannot cannot emerge from this system. And so Jesus essentially closes the chapter of closes the chapter of Judaism as a way to God because it does not have the fruit. And if you were with us in our studies of, of Galatians, you can see why it did not have the fruit. Right? Because any any religious system that is based on the performance of man right, on the ability of man to produce something, cannot touch the heart of God. Because that religious system is going to break down at the first entry point, which is the entry point of righteousness. Anyways, we're going to keep the third interpretation for this until the end. Please remind me to come back to it. But the Bible now says in verse 20 that in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree that it had dried up from its roots. And the, the disciples were all surprised, including Peter. And Peter, the most vocal of them, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And Jesus, for the first time, began to teach about faith. He answered and said to them, have faith in God. So have faith in God. Um, Actually, if you look at the, the Greek rendering of this and, and the Latin rendering of this expression, you'll find out that what we have here is, is the translation that the English translators gave to us because they didn't really understand what the original was saying, or at least what the original was saying didn't make too much sense in English. What the original was saying, if you cross-check other translations and commentaries, is have the faith of God, right? Or if you like, have the God kind of faith. But let's, let's hold on to that point for a second and consider the one that is in front of us, which is have faith in God, right? Because it's supposed to hint us at the first important lesson of faith, which is that faith is not without an object, Right? And the faith that is in Christ, its object is God. Now, what I'm saying might seem obvious or trivial or simple, but it is so fundamental to understanding, understanding the dynamics of faith and from separating faith from new age practices, new age religions, which unfortunately many of us have embraced without even realizing what they are. Right? The first definition of faith is that faith is an anchor. Faith is an anchor. And I don't know if we all know what an anchor is, right? But essentially, an, an anchor is a metallic device or some sort of device that is attached on one end to a ship and on the other end to the seabed. That's the bottom of the sea. And it's used to keep the ship as mighty as the ship is, you know? I don't know if you've seen very massive ships before. I mean, I've seen some here in Europe and, and the sight of it is amazing. You know, the number of 
cars, for example, that can fit into one ship, right? You see people have full apartment blocks and restaurants and so many things going on <laughs> inside the ship. As mighty as that ship is, all that it takes to keep that ship in place is an anchor. The anchor um, digs into the seabed and stays in place. Of course, there are, there, are, there are motionary anchors and there are stationary ones, but the main idea is that the anchor fixes the ship towards the seabed and keeps it in a certain position. So that this is the first definition of faith, that faith is an anchor. And what that means is that faith does not exist by itself. You know, in trying to, in trying to define faith, would also examine what faith is not. For every definition we give to faith, it's important that we mention what faith is not. Right? So an anchor is not useful by itself. There has to be a, a ship, of course. But most importantly, if there's a ship and there's an anchor, it's still not useful. There has to be a seabed, like an objective reality, an objective basis upon which the anchor can stay. So that objective basis in Christianity is God. Jesus said, have faith in God. He didn't say have faith. You know, in our new age spirituality, you're going to meet a lot of people who have faith. They have faith, you know, in the universe, right? They have faith in themselves. Jesus didn't say have faith. He said have faith in God. God needs to be the object of your faith. And like we've said many times that the quality of your faith is determined by the quality of the object of your faith, which is why in many cases, Jesus was not so concerned with the size of your faith as much as he was concerned with the object of your faith. Remember when the disciples woke him, he didn't ask them, how small is your faith? He said, where is your faith? Right? Because it is the place upon which your faith is anchored that determines its potency. I always give this example of two people who have, one has a 40-old car that is 90% broken down, and another one has a brand new modern sport car. And the one who has the 40 Beatles, for example, has so much confidence that this car can take him on a 12-hour journey, you know, and arrive on time without any problems. He has so much faith. But the other one <laughs> who has the fancy modern latest sports car doesn't even have any faith. He's just neutral, right, about the, about the fact that his car can take him to Lagos from, let's say, Calabar in Nigeria and back. You see, what matters is not the faith itself, because the faith cannot exist in limbo. What matters is the object of the faith. The, the difference between those two people is that one is trusting a faulty car and one is trusting a faultless car. And at the end of the day, their outcome is going to be determined by the object of their faith. So when Jesus says, have faith in God, he's saying, let God be the reason why you believe. So he's introducing us to the first definition of faith, which I want us to read about in, Jude, in Hebrews chapter 10, first definition of faith, verse 35 to verse 39. Um, Yudi, can you read for us? Verse 35. 
Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. But the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Yeah, thank you so much. Right? So he says, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. And he tells us in verse 38 that the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Right? Think about that sentence, the just shall live by faith. From everything that we've talked about in the gospel, it's impossible for anybody to be called the just. It's impossible for you or for me to be called the just. Before God, no one can be justified, right? So the only way that you can be called the just, I can be called the just, anyone can be called the just is by faith, which we have seen several times in our studies of Romans, of, 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 of practically our study of every book, this topic has come up, right? that it's only true faith that we can be justified by accepting the substitutionary work of Christ, we can have a position of righteousness before God. So the person who is being addressed as the just here, he gained that position, not by doing anything, but by trusting in God, by anchoring his, his, his life on God. So if, if he became just by faith, the scripture is saying that the only way that makes sense for him to live hereafter is by faith. Now, you know that the just shall live by faith was mentioned first in this. It's mentioned four times in scripture. The first time is, this is just a teaser for you to, 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 like to maybe spend some time studying your personal time. But it's mentioned four times in scripture. The first time is in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, I think. And then in the New Testament, it's mentioned three times. And the first place is mentioned in the New Testament is in the book of Romans chapter 1. There, Paul explains who the just is. How is it possible that you, born into Adam's race, born with the weaknesses of Adam's race, can be called the just? That's what the book of Romans is concerned with. The just. Who is the just and how can you become just, right? The next place we see um, the just shall live by faith is in Galatians, which we looked at also. And Galatians practically covers your practical living, right? How now that you are justified, what, what's the right way to live? Galatians is, is and, and the summary of the right way to live, which Galatians brings to us, is that we ought to walk in the spirit. He says that in, if you walk in the spirit, you will not find yourself fulfilling the desires of the flesh. But we looked at the book of Galatians previously. And this is the third and final place that this phrase is mentioned in the New Testament. And we all know that Hebrews, especially the chapter that comes after chapter 10, focuses on faith, what faith is and what it is not, right? So our believing in Jesus introduces us to the trust in life. God is the object of our faith. We trust him for our justification, right? The reason I can sit here and speak to you today is because I is because I'm trusting Jesus for 
my righteousness. If, if I don't have a positional righteousness with Jesus, I don't have any basis upon which I can teach you about his life. Right? So we trust him for our justification. The reason you can pray and God hears you is because you, you, you make appearance in God's throne by justification. And that justification is by faith. We trust him for our acceptance. We trust him for our access. We trust him for our peace. All of this is in Romans um, chapter 5, right? Verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access. Everything that you can become in Christ is because of this truth that you have access. And all that is left is a question of what will you do with your access? Or you have access. And that access is by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Right? So that's the first definition of faith. That faith is an anchor. Faith means trusting. Faith means depending. The reason why I'm not attempting to explain this in any detail is that we've looked at this principle several times. What this means is that faith is not merely positive thinking, right? Or positive proclamations. <laughs> you know, we have, we have turned faith into all kinds of things in our generation. It's not merely positive thinking or positive proclamations. Faith is not the law of attraction. You know, I don't know how many of you have read the book. I hope you haven't, but there's a book called The Secret that... Um, offers to unveil the secrets of the universe. And the number one secret is the law of attraction, right? That the universe would bring to you the things that you speak out. And a lot of our proclamations in modern Christianity, unfortunately, is based on that ideology, on that new age ideology of the law of attraction. You know, just keep speaking positive things and positive things will come to you. The question is, what is the anchor of that faith that you're exercising? New Testament faith is anchored on a person. Jesus said, have faith in God. New Testament faith is not anchored on the universe and its ability to bring you the things that you're proclaiming or the things that you're speaking. No. What happens with that kind of faith is that when Jesus comes looking for food, he will find nothing. And the only, the, only, the only recourse left for him is to curse such an expression so that it will never produce fruit, right? New Testament faith does not hang in the balance. It's not positive thinking. New Testament faith can lead you to positive thinking, but New Testament faith is not positive thinking. It does not begin with positive thinking. New Testament faith, as we'll see, can lead you to confessions and, pro and proclamations but it is not confessions and proclamations. It does not begin with confessions and proclamations. New Testament faith is not based on the law of attraction. New Testament faith is not based on anything in creation. New Testament faith is founded on a person, right? And we rely on that person for everything. Anything that you call faith that does not take its reference from that person is something else. So we, we, we rely on him for justification. We rely on him for acceptance. So when it's time to exercise faith, we rely on him for the faith that we are exercising. 
if that's complex, we're going to explain it shortly. But this is the first point I wanted to make tonight, first definition of faith. And I would like to hear your thoughts on this. Is it clear? Any questions or contributions? Okay, awesome. We have a consensus. So the first definition of faith is that faith means trusting, right? Trusting in God. Faith is an anchor. That anchor is held steadfast on Jesus, on God. That's where your faith begins. The second definition of faith is offered to us by Hebrews chapter 11, right? So when I say first definition, second definition, try not to um, fix your mind too much on those categories. Um, in the spirit, there's something called multidimensionality, right? That one thing can have many dimensions. So these are the many dimensions of faith that if you want to have a rich faith experience, you need to know its dimensions. It's just like Jesus saying to you that no, no, nobody has seen the Father except the Son who is in heaven, right? He's telling you that right now he's in heaven, but he's also talking to you. He's, he's speaking dimensionally, and it's not the kind of thing you can grasp with your mind. So faith is a multidimensional reality. We cannot come here and tell you that, oh, faith is X, Y, Z, full stop. No. We won't be doing justice to the reality of faith. So faith begins as an anchor, right? It begins as trusting. And that trusting has a reference, which is God. Okay. So Yudi, can you read for us um, Hebrews 11, verse 1 to 3? Verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Yeah, thank you. So here we see two additional dimensions of faith. Let me call them dimensions, not definitions of faith, right? But definitions also a good expression. Two additional definitions of faith. So faith is first an anchor, but here we see that the, the writer goes beyond the surface and says, no, faith is a substance. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Right. So one of the things you notice here very quickly is that this definition separates faith from hope, like day and light. It's saying that you hope for something, and that is a good thing, but faith is the substance that that brings evidence that the thing you hope for, right, is, is real and it's yours. Lord, help us to explain this. Now, if something is a substance, it means that it is tangible, right? You can lay hold of it. You, it means that you know when you have it and you know when you don't. It's, it's, it's substantial in that sense, right? Hope is not substantial. Hope is objective, right? Hope is planted firmly in the objective. Hope is planted firmly in the future. And that's why hope by itself is limited, but hope is necessary. This is also a balance that we must lay, right? Remember when we did the book of Colossians, we said that the longevity of your faith is going to be determined by the quality of your hope, right? If the hope that brought you into Christ is the hope of long, long life and health and um 
I don't know, financial breakthrough, if that is the hope upon which your faith was based, your faith doesn't have much runway. Its lifespan is, it's, it's bound to crash because such a hope does not have longevity. But anyone who is a Christian needs to have a particular hope. That hope is beyond anything you can experience on earth. John says, beloved, now are we the sons of God? However, it does not yet appear what we shall be. There's, there's a dimension of us that has not come. And anybody who has this hope purifies himself. So that in case you don't have that hope, walking in purity is not even a possibility for you in the first place, right? Hope allows us travel into the future and anchor our present on a reality that we have not yet seen, but whose existence we are confident of. So hope is not the kind of thing you use when you want to change things in time, right? When you want to move the hand of God, hope is not the instrument you need. Hope is the instrument you need when you want to persevere, right? And it's, it's necessary, it's critical, it's fundamental that we all persevere as believers. We are called to persevere and there will be times when it will be more explicit that we need to persevere and hope is the is the virtue that we need to lay hold on to be able to persevere. But faith, faith is what we need when we need to change things now. That's why faith is substantiated, right? Faith is real. So while hope is in the objective future, right? Faith is in the subjective now. I know that that's a big expression, but what I simply mean by that is, Two, two Christians can be sitting down, can even be husband and wife, for example, and are married. Both of them have the same objective hope, right? But both of them do not have the same subjective faith. And that's why even though they are married and they share everything together, there are possibilities, both Christians, both having the same hope. Their possibilities will be utterly different because what your because faith by its nature is subjective. That's what it means by it is a substance. I hope that has helped us delineate a little bit, right? The difference between faith and hope. So the missing ingredient between faith and hope, what takes that future expectation and brings it into the present is a substance. And that substance is. It's a confident assurance. I think that's how the NIV put it, right? That faith is the confident assurance of things that you hope for. And that confident assurance cannot be bought in the market. That confident assurance, you cannot fake it. You can, it cannot be received by inheritance that your father, for example, has that confident assurance does not automatically mean that you're going to enjoy the same. It is subjective. It's idiosyncratic in that sense. Right? So that's the missing link, the confident assurance, the assurance that comes by knowing and by revelation. And that's why the scripture says that faith comes by hearing, right? And hearing by the word of God. And the question is, how, what's the errand of the word of God in that equation? The errand of the word of God is that it's supposed to bet a confident assurance in your heart. It is when you have that confident assurance 
that the word of God can begin, that, that, that the promise of God can begin to, to manifest in your life, that it can become profitable to you. So let's recap again a bit, right? Because faith is a substance, it's possible for you to know when you have it and when you don't have it. It's tangible, it's a reality, right? That's why Jesus now said, if we go back briefly to Mark chapter 11, we need to find the, the, the translation of this where he says, if you have faith, right? Let me find it very quickly. I think that's Luke's, no, Matthew's version of this, Matthew chapter 21, verse 21. Because this is the same experience, but the different writers of the gospel are reporting it from different angles. So let's look at Matthew's reportage of this. As shortly I say to you, if you have faith, and do not doubt, right? So you see, first of all, that what Jesus is about to say after this is conditional, right? It's conditioned on the fact, on the premise that you have faith. Jesus does not take it for granted that you have faith because the faith he's speaking of here is not your trusting in God for your justification, no. The faith he's speaking of here is that subjective substance. Jesus is saying that if you have it, and then he adds, and do not doubt, meaning that the proof that you have that faith is a confident assurance. It's not the kind of assurance you get because you listen to a motivational speaker and the motivational speaker was able to warm you up that you can face any lion and then you go into the zoo. And start looking for a lion. No, this is something spiritual, something that is better than the canvas of your heart. He says, if you have it, even mountains will begin to obey you. And friends, if we are to interpret this, interpret this scripture plainly, in the plain way possible, if you have faith, mountains will obey you. If you don't have faith, the mountains will not move. Meaning that faith is that substance that gives you the mandate, the authority to rule, to govern. That authority and that mandate that Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 5, right? Where he says that if by one man's offense, right, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign. That exercising of authority is bound to is bound to the premise of you having the kind of faith that does not doubt which is why i said that the errand of the word of god is to bet assurance in you the reason we are doing bible study the reason why god brings you his word is not so much so that you can start doing more things in that sense it is so that an assurance can be born in your heart when that assurance is born in your heart <laughs> When you say to a mountain, it will move. And it's as though this, this substance that is called faith, right? This reality that is called faith, it is so real that when faith is born in your heart, it is registered in the spirit that Kai, faith has entered NN. All the entities in the spirit are put on notice as it were that NN has laid hold on the substance, which is why 
when NS speaks, the mountains answer. If you have faith, you will say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. And if you do not doubt, it will be done for you. So that's the errand of the word of God. It's supposed to bet conviction in your heart, a confident assurance. You know, I can tell you what I was telling myself today when I was going out. And I was not, I was not faking it. You know, I was not, I didn't read it in a textbook. What I was saying, saying to myself is, I cannot fail. It's not part of my possibilities. Now, I wasn't saying it hmm, out of pride or boasting or I, or I was trying to show up or I was trying to feel good about myself. In fact, actually, if I'm, to be honest with you, I was not feeling very good about myself at all this morning. I think Satan was very busy around my space this morning. But I was saying to myself, in the midst of my frustration, I cannot fail. That kind of confident assurance is a product of something that the word of God has done inside of you. You cannot fake it. You can only have it. And just in case you do not have it, you, you might need to continue tarrying with Jesus until you receive that substance. You see? And then the question is, how do we source that substance, right? If, how do we source this reality? How do we source this, this, this confident assurance, which we said is from the word of God? So it is sourced from the presence of God, from, from fellowshipping with God. That's why the, the correct translation of have faith in God is actually have the faith of God, right? Have the faith that takes its origin from God. You know, a lot of people look at the external and then they have faith. Some people have faith that if they go to America, their lives will be better. Why? Because they've examined the economic indices and they've come to that conclusion. So that faith does not have its origin in God. But have the faith whose origin is in God. If its origin is in God, it means that it is tied to the will of God. Right? Some people have so much faith that they are going to marry somebody that they like. You know, you know, such faith is not tied to the will of God and God is not under pressure to perform the demands of such faith. And I'm not saying that you will not even get what you're asking for. Right? It's possible that you'll get it, but I'm telling you that it's not God who gave it to you. If you eventually get anything that is not in the will of God for you, because faith operates within the perimeter of the will of God because it is sourced from the will of God. So you see why Jesus was super upset by the religious system that had elevated trading and the exchanging of money above the substance that was supposed to produce life in people's existence so that the temple had become a place of merchandise and not a place of prayer. He says, have you not known that it is written that my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it to a den of thieves, as long as this your superficial activity continues, the possibility of faith being born in the heart of anybody here is zero. And I can tell you that hmm, the Lord help us. In a lot of our you know, modern Pentecostalism, we are full of so much action that, that it's possible that we are blinded people from the possibility of stepping into real and true faith. Because faith is sourced from intercourse with Jesus. 
It's sourced from fellowship with Jesus. You know, when David came back from war and he saw that Ziklag was completely raided and his wives and everything his men had was taken and his men, the men pointed their swords at him and said, hmm, you are our next target if you don't bring back our people. You know, David did not begin by strategizing. The Bible says that he wept until there was no strategy. So that was the natural response. And then he switched on another principle. The Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord and he began to press into God. And he says, shall I pursue? Will I overtake? Will I recover? Or the moment he secured a word from God that bettered a confident assurance in his heart, said, let's go after those guys. He didn't go after them until he secured that word. Even Goliath <laughs> did not dare to fight David, despite how much of a mismatch, right? That battle was. Goliath first cursed him with his gods before he attempted to do anything physical on him. And David replied by saying, I come to you against you in the name of the God of Israel. Faith is sourced from the presence of God. It is in fellowship with Jesus that the substance of faith is, is better in your heart. Friends, let us make up our minds to fellowship with the word of God, to fellowship in prayer. What God wants to do in you is that he wants to bring you to a place of confident assurance. Confident assurance so that you can begin to operate the faith of God. Jesus says, if you have it, you will not be quiet. I don't know if it has happened to you before that. Many things began to go wrong around your life. Maybe you just had a very terrible day or something. And throughout all of that experience, you found yourself quiet. The only time you opened your mouth was, was to murmur, right? Or to complain or to this kind of life stuff. Eh? Have I not suffered enough, you know, God? Yeah. <laughs> I can assure you that <laughs> I've had those experiences many times. That's just a proof that there's no substance. Because Jesus says that if you have this substance, you will say it to this mountain. You will say it to this mountain. The substance will be rumbling inside you and you will say, now he's not saying that if you have a problem, you go and buy one of these books and then you check which one is for divine healing. You open to the page for divine healing and you start talking what is written there. I can assure you that whatever that thing is, it is not New Testament faith. And I don't care if you tell me that it works. It's not New Testament faith. Whatever it is, it, it has no reference in scripture. It has no basis in apostolic practice. New Testament faith is a product of fellowship with Jesus. Right? That is true that your soul may be beaten and battered, but just, just fellowship with him. Can you, can you sing a song to him? Can you, can you raise a hallelujah to him? And then suddenly faith will be imparted to you. And on the strength of that faith, you can cast out demons. You can speak to that spirit of disunity or discord that is trying to invade your home or invade your space. You can, you can dispel it because something sovereign, something full of authority was, was, was born on the canvas of your soul. Faith is organic. Anything that begins from the external, Jesus cursed it. That's why, he, that's why he looked at that tree and cursed it. He says, no one will eat fruit from you. And of course, what we call fruit may not be what Jesus calls fruit. Right? Jesus cursed any form of religion that, has, that, that begins with the external and places so much emphasis on the external. Oh, you may think 
that your greatest need is for healing. And so you buy a book about healing and you start reading out the proclamations on healing. I think that you are on the right path, but you are, you are not yet at faith. You are not yet at faith. The way of faith is to, is to go into the sanctuary and do business with God and deal with God in that sense and allow God deal with you and let what is left on, on you be a substance. John says that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, in case the world has pressed you in, right? In case the world has pressed you in, it's because you've not found the substance that overcomes. It says whatever is born of God, ensure that the faith you're exercising came from heaven. Remain silent until, until it comes from heaven. Faith is a substance. Faith is, is more than hope, friends. Faith is more than wishful thinking. Delete from your Christian vocabulary the idea of wishful thinking. Uh, if God wants it, it will happen. Just, <laughs> we don't have time to break down that thing today, but just delete it from your Christian vocabulary. The language with which God invites us to operate with him is faith. Have the God kind of faith. Have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. Fellowship with God until the substance and the reality of life is born in you and operate with that substance. Let that substance be what you rely on. So that's the second definition of faith. I know I've said a lot there, but just opening the floor again for us, I see some comments in the chat. Any thoughts on this? Samira, it's so strong. It's penetrating my nose mask manager. Okay. Any thoughts or questions on this so far? Yes, please. Uh, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, let me start from the first thought that came to my mind. <laughs> when you were giving the analogy of of faith, the comparison, the connection between faith and hope. I want to share an understanding I had mm -hmm. you know, some time ago when I was studying that Hebrews 11. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I got to understand something, you know, so I, I, I've, I've heard you say this and I've also had that understanding that most of the lexicons or the grammar used by the apostles to capture eternal realities we are not really dependent on the original meaning of that grammar at the time. But yeah. that grammar was more suitable to, to meet the demands of what they wanted to express. So I was what, what gave me this understanding was when I was studying that place, I said, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And from the human definition of hope, if we say Christ in me, the hope of glory, it look as if um, you look as if hope has a very fleeting, a fleeting, mm -hmm. fleeting reality. Mm -hmm. And I came to this, I said, ah, Christ can't be such a fleeting reality. And then that was when the Holy Spirit gave me this understanding that hope there is referring to guarantee. Mm -hmm. Christ, so I, I like substituting to say Christ in me, the guarantee of glory. So mm -hmm. It's an is a is a shorty. So when I when I went to look into that Hebrews 11, and it says faith is a substance, is the substance of things hoped for. 
I said, I said, faith is a substance of things guaranteed for. So, mm-hmm. if, like you said, we're having faith in God and is it guaranteed? The Lord is our portion, right? Mm-hmm. But then, like, you, you, something you said just struck a very clear chord on it today. Um, the faith is the, is, the, um, subje- is the subjective one, right? And hope yeah. is the objective one. But then they are both pointing to a substance of reality. Mm-hmm. So I, as we were talking, I just got this. It may not be the exact thing, but this, I'm just sharing a thought. I just as a, an, a, a picture that crystallized in my head. We have water. Water is a matter. Water is, is matter. And then there is, when you, now see, when you see steam, for example, when you see vapor, is it signifies the presence of water. But then mm. when you see the liquid, the liquid is the evidence that this is water here. So um, if you see steam coming out of something, it means that water is present somewhere. So I was now, when you were talking, I was kind of having this likening image of say, hope is like the steam, the assurance that water is present. But then mm. faith is the liquid that you can use yeah. So, I, I just, so I just yeah. stopped there. Yeah, thank you, Sammy. Um, in the world, when we use hope, we essentially say that we're not sure of it, but we hope, right? In, in, in New Testament faith, when we use hope, we are saying that we're sure of it. We just don't see it. Yeah. Right? So the hope, hope in the world and hope in the New Testament are two completely different concepts. Mm-hmm. Entirely hope. In the world, when you say, ah, I hope it will happen, you're saying that you're not sure it will happen. In in Christ, when you say I hope, <laughs> you're saying that you're very sure it will happen. I'm looking forward to the, the reality of that it has not happened yet, essentially. Right. Yeah. Want, Thank you. I wanted, I wanted to ask for that. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, when just the analogy you gave about the healing and the book and all that, I I understand you because it is something that I've also believed in. But there was, there was a certain, um, how will I say, there was a way you put it that kind of eluded me. I don't know if you could throw a bit of light on it. You know, when you say something about if you have a demand of healing and you go and get a book of healing, it is not an act of faith, but you said it's a, it's a good place to start. So, <laughs> yeah, I've, yes. also, I've also believed that. I've also believed that as well because... People who always, maybe when there is a need for finance, they go and read finance books and start jamming faith. And then there is now a big problem when they don't receive the finance. For those who need healing, there is also a big problem when they don't receive the healing. And um, their mind finds it impossible to grasp the fact that sometimes God's interest is not particularly to heal them in that particular thing. Because I've seen blind people who are strongly serving God and it doesn't take away the fact that God does not heal. So um, just based on what you said, I just want that, that aspect of the fact that you went to take a healing book to pursue healing does not really mean it's an act of faith. And then what one should do, you know, in the yeah. spirit of Yeah. So I said it's a good start because at least the book helps you pray, right? Yes. Um, so that's what God wants. He wants you to start praying. And then when you start praying, what you're supposed to do is to, now that God has your attention, you now pay attention to God and not the book. You know? Okay. But, okay. but the book is the introduction to the process. Maybe without the book, you won't even know where to start, how to start, 
you know, all of these things. Um, it's necessary for us to know that God doesn't want to give us anything apart from himself, right? Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want us to have he doesn't want us to have a book that if we're sick, we'll just go to the book. <laughs> and mm. then, then the book will very quickly become God. It's just a matter of time. Right? Mm. You know, every time, you know, Jesus says that your father knows what you have need of before you ask him, yet he wants you to ask because yeah. the process of asking introduces you to a dealing with God. That's, that's the opportunity that God now has to deal with you in case... You know, if we had time, we'd have seen how that faith works by love, right? For example, mm -hmm. and then there's no love in your life. And then you now come to God for healing. That's mm -hmm. your coming to God for healing is now a chance for, if your faith is supposed to come from him, it's now mm -hmm. a chance for God to now deal Point with God. your lack of love. Mm -hmm. If not that you needed healing, you may not come. You, you may not have arrived at the place where you can deal with him. Yes, or he true. can deal with you. So if you if you remove the coming to God from the equation and replace it with a book that assures you that if you say these things, mm. it doesn't matter that God needs your attention, but just say these things. You don't need to be a Christian then. You can be a Muslim and just say them, right? Just which, just is, them, yeah. which is practically what we have in Nigeria going on, at least from my experience living with Muslims. You know, They use those our books whenever they're sick. Even mm. though they don't know the God of the book and they, they don't intend to bow to the God of the book anytime soon, right? Mm -hmm. Indicating that God didn't trap himself in the book. He, he, he trapped himself in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. You know? he, 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 he invites us to deal with him. God, I can assure you that God wants to heal you bodily, but he also wants to deal with you. He wants you to become more like Christ. And, and any need you have is an opportunity for that exercise to happen you know the moment you begin to exercise faith you are now vulnerable you are now trusting another that's why even though he knows what you have need of he wants you to ask because asking introduces you to that process that will build up your faith build up your character without that process i can assure you you will need god mm. you will need god I can tell you my own personal story of when I came to God with a book in 2015, January, for a healing of something mm -hmm. that was on my body. And I was fasting, and you know how it goes. And then I brought the book, mm -hmm. and then I opened to the healing session of the book. <laughs> and mm -hmm. then I started reading the first prayer. And I was not a very serious Christian at that time, but I could hear the Holy Spirit say it clear to me if you want to talk to me, drop that book. Mm. Right, very clearly. I was like, oh, which kind of? And I said, this, this voice should wait a second. Let me. I need my healing. <laughs> yes, I want to withdraw something. I need my healing. And then I tried to read the book, and I, I don't know if you felt the Holy Ghost literally fight with, wrestle with you. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't read beyond the second point, and I dropped it. And then I began to travel in the spirit. And then the Holy Spirit now showed me the pathway to my healing. Mm. And I can assure you that I've gotten my full healing from that thing according to that pathway I was shown. The, part, the, the pathway was idiosyncratic. I can't recommend it for you. It was idiosyncratic. It was subjective. It was a substance of faith. I did not go to any doctor after that. I did not take any medication after that because of the substance of faith, not because I read things in the book. So that pathway is not supposed to become a doctrine of healing to, to share to others. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, get, I get what you mean. Yes, I do. If you if you, if you turn the pathway into a doctrine of healing, you are you are attempting to replace God. It's, it's trouble. You are attempting to replace God. The only manual for faith is the Word of God. God wants you to arrive at the place of confident assurance. Mm. Conf confident assurance. Confident assurance. You, you can see the kind of thing that the saints of old. The Bible says that by faith they obtained a good report. Nobody yes. took them took them to a school of faith. Nobody taught them anything about faith. But yes. they were just they were just relating with God based on the organic expression that was inside their vessel, and it led them to a good report. How much more you yes. yes. You, you can arrive at the place of a confident assurance. Hmm. You can arrive at the place. You know, some people believe so much in proclamation that they, <laughs> when you ask them, the way I'm seeing you, I don't think you're feeling fine. I'll tell you that I'm, I'm strong. I'm strong. I'm strong. Somebody's broke. You say I'm rich. <laughs> faith is not positive thinking, friends. Faith, is not, <laughs> faith does not begin there. You know, if if you are sick and you don't have faith, I beg in God's name, go to the hospital. And mm. I can assure you that most people don't actually have faith to the level that can guarantee their healing without medical intervention. Most people mm. don't. Right? God works with divine providence. Mm. And if your faith, where it reaches, is that, okay, I have faith that if a doctor treats me, I'll be fine. Then God is totally fine with that setup. Yes. I mean, you, you, you don't want to go to the doctor for, I don't know, a serious sickness, right? But, but you believe in taking Panadol for headache. What's the difference? <laughs> Practically speaking, right? If you, are, if you are to stick to <laughs> the faith lane, as it were, you shouldn't even touch Panadol in your life ever, right? Uh, or even touch any organic drink. She just says, all by faith. But you realize that the very universe was not structured by was not structured by God like that. Mm -hmm. With all your getting gets fit, but mm -hmm. ensure that you you know when you, Jesus says if you have it, you, you cannot have it and not know. If you don't have it, the best thing you can have is sincerity. It's hope. It's, yes. a, it's a big if if you don't have it. If you have it, that's the best thing you can have with yourself: sincerity. Mm. Right, sincerity. Tell God that okay, me, I have faith for preaching and is working, but I don't have faith for healing yet. Mm. And then, and you submit yourself to learning. You submit yourself to those who have that faith. Mm. Doesn't diminish your, your anointing. Doesn't diminish your stature. Mm -hmm. Doesn't make you less righteous. Yeah. Nothing like that. I know the things I don't have faith for. <laughs> I yeah. know. I know. And it's not a badge of honor, but it's, it's, a, it's a recognition that... And every time, once and again, those infirmities show up and I, and I say, God, God, increase my faith. Help. Help. Okay. So, so the third thing, very quickly, that faith is so that you don't okay. lose time without rounding up. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Sammy. Um, verse 3 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith we understand, right, that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So faith, the third thing faith is, is that it's a lens. 
it's a, it's a mirror. Faith is a glass through which we see the world and by which we interpret the events that happen in the world. The question, one question I wanted to ask us earlier when we say faith is a substance is, what confident assurance do you have? Is there anything that even if the point had gone to your head, you know it, right? You know, when it was time for Jesus to be, to be crucified, that was, that was um, a very vulnerable moment in his life. But the Bible says that Jesus knew. Jesus knew. You know, somebody can come and insult you and despise you, but is there something that you know? What confident assurance do you have? That's the question of faith as a substance. What confident assurance do you have? Right? Faith as a lens is, by, by what mirror do you interpret the events of your life? See, when you were included in Christ, you were included in a different context. Like, when we, like we saw when we looked at Colossians, you lost your destiny. <laughs> your destiny is wound up in Christ now. You know, it's so funny that is that most of us unfortunately live with the lens of Satan, the lens of witchcraft, the lens of everything that the enemy can do to stop the plan of God. And we forget that your life is hid in God, in Christ, and Christ in God. It means that if it is true that you're in Christ, nothing in your life, number one, is a coincidence. Nothing in your life is for nothing. No pain is for nothing. The thing in your life now that is not working, if only you knew what God had in mind for you in that situation, you realize that even that terrible situation is supposed to produce an advantage because your context changed. Nothing can be a disadvantage. Paul says that I am confident. I'm convinced that nothing in this life, in the one that is to come, can separate us from the love of God. Friends, do you have that lens? Is that, is that the lens with which you look at your weaknesses? Is that the lens with which you look at your future? Is that the lens with which you look at your life? Or do you still look at it with the lens of the flesh, with the, with the lens of your ancestry, right? With the lens of your weaknesses. Anytime somebody dies around you, you start shaking and, oh, Satan won again, you know? What should we do now? You know? The Bible says that by faith we understand. By faith. It's, it's, the, it's the lens through which we view the events in the world. Right? If, if God sends you to a city and there are no Christians in that city, guess what you're supposed to do? <laughs> you're supposed to put on the lens of faith. That's what you're supposed to do as you go to that city. And you're supposed to say, my father has been here before me and he left footprints for me. He left relics for me. It's not a mistake that I'm here. I can walk in the steps that he left behind for me. Paul says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Right. It's, an, it's an insistence that we walk by faith and not by sight. That is how we choose to interpret our, our circumstances. That's how we choose to move. If you decide to live by the lens of faith, you will not wake up and relocate to another country because you have flight tickets. No, you, you just realize that, wait, wait a second, the whole thing has been arranged before time. And so you begin to look through that lens, right? And say, what is the will of God? And then when you 
have ascertained that, okay, the will of God is for me to go. You enter the flight and you go and anything that happens, you know that Kai, the will of God is for me to be here. And so there is a way somehow. I'm not meant to die in this wilderness. I'm not meant to be, to be in penury. I'm not meant to suffer lack and loss because I am in the will of God. It is when you begin to see the world through the lens of faith that you begin to cherish the will of God. Faith is not the thing that you, you use for your shopping list with God. That okay, at the beginning of the year, you write down all the things you want and then you now invite God to come and look at the list. <laughs> God, <laughs> and you see, I, I need a husband on before the middle of the year. I need a car by the end of the year. I need, no. Faith invests the process. You, you, you travel, you travel and you journey into the will of God. And when you secure his will, you enforce it on the earth through prayer. The Bible says that by faith we understand. Jesus says, so for us to summarize, because we're really out of time, Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Jesus says, have faith in God. For shortly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Friends, this word has always challenged me. It's like one or two people is not telling the truth. Either Jesus is not telling the truth or my experiences are not telling the truth. Yeah. And in, in, my, in my own case, I choose to, to, to say that my experiences are not telling the truth. And time after time again, I've seen mountains move. Right? But ensure that your substance is from God. It's not from the pressure, you know. Felt so much pressure, so you ran to God for his spouse. And then there was no answer. And then you're like, hmm, does this thing really work? <laughs> I'm sure that your substance is from God. There are many things that are happening in our lives, around our lives, that God is waiting on us to speak, to speak, to stand in authority and to proclaim, to to tap into the frequency of heaven, to download his thoughts for the situation and to enforce it by the authority that he has given to us. He's just waiting for us. The Bible says that Jesus was hungry. He had a desire. And, and you know, my prayer tonight is that the desire of Jesus will be satisfied in our, in our lives. Amen. The desire of Jesus. He says, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That that when he comes to us, he will find faith. That when Satan comes, he will find faith. He will be accosted with a faith that is rooted in the confidence of our, of our election in God. Are you confident in your election in God? Can you truly say, I know that I cannot fail? Can you truly say, I know that I cannot lack it's not a problem if you cannot truly say, but it simply means that we, you and I need to fellowship with the Father. 
until the confident assurance is born in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.